This is from the Shoyoroku, Nanyang's water pitcher. Introduction. Washing the bowl, adding water to the pitcher, are all aspects of the teaching. Buddha work, hauling firewood, carrying the water, are all miraculous powers of sublime functions. Why can't you emanate light and make the earth move? The case. Monk asked national teacher Zhong of Nanyang, what is Vairokana in one's own body? The national teacher said, bring me the pitcher of clean water. Monk brought the pitcher. The national teacher said, put it back where it was before. The monk did so, and then asked again, what is Vairokana in one's own body? The national teacher said, the ancient Buddha is long gone. The verse. Birds coursing in the sky, fishes being in the water, in rivers and lakes forgetting, in clouds and sky they get their will. The doubting mind, a single thread. Before the face, a thousand miles. Knowing benevolence, repaying benevolence. How many people do? So what is Vairokana's own body? Oh, Vairokana in one owns body. How intimately do we know that body? How deeply do we know this lump of red flesh as Dogen called it? Or skin bag we reside in for a while. We are in the midst of Ango, three months training period and we are working on clarifying, actualizing wisdom. Or looking at how does wisdom function in this body, in this life. So on a fundamental level, it can be said that our practice is just about one thing, homecoming, just about arriving where we are and recognizing that at any given moment, home is exactly where we stand, in the midst of the exact circumstances the exact surroundings, to recognize home beyond confined or the confinement of location, beyond the limitation of thought, 
unconditional, non-dual. How can we always feel at home, be at home? Right? To be at home means to be free, to be authentic. Just like that, just as you are. With what you're good at, what you're not so good at, success, failure, the whole package. Mistakes, as is. And it's a journey. Homecoming is a journey for us practitioners. It's a journey that it's an odd journey because we do a lot to realize that we really don't have to go anywhere else or do anything else other than what we're already doing. And it's odd because it takes a lot of attention. takes effort, concentrated effort, intention. And so for working on this task of homecoming, what could be more conducive than this sashin in the middle of the spring on this magnificent mountain in this beautiful monastery? We've been coming here for the past few years, but only in the fall. We, we spend the spring session somewhere else. And it's quite amazing to be here at that time. We are more used to being here when the earth is kind of being tucked away, getting ready for asleep during winter and now it's waking up everything everywhere you look everything is rustling everything is awakening being born again it's an amazing experience right? profound and also very encouraging to start fresh, to start new, to put aside what we think, what we believe, to put it all aside, and to wake up as everything around us is. Right? So being here, we are presented with an opportunity to study with ancient masters that never cease to expand the Dharma through every expression of their being. But are we open to receive these teachings? And if we are open, how can we respond to these teachings in a way that is fitting and intimate? And those great masters, 
are not. The lineage list we just chanted a short while ago. It's what these great masters we chanted expound on or about. They are long gone. They are dead. But what they taught is waking us up now. Or it's what we are waking up to now here on this mountain in this springtime. So the actual masters all around us. You know, this monastery was built more than four, four decades ago for the sole purpose of teaching the Dharma. Right? Every bit of it was designed for that. But I think it would be quite arrogant of us to think that the teachings were first made available when the monastery opened its doors. This very mountain has been faithfully teaching over countless seasons. Years before anyone thought of putting up a building on it and calling it a place of practice. In fact, it's, it's the wisdom teaching of the mountains that give rise to the idea of erecting a monastery for people to practice. We tend to think in very self-centered ways. And often, even when it comes to practice, we can still think in self-centered ways. One time the Buddha was walking with some of his followers, and at some point he stopped, pointed to the ground and said, this would be a good place to build a sanctuary. Indra picked up a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground and said, the sanctuary is built. And it says that the Buddha responded with a smile. Now we can say that he smiled because there was mutual understanding between the teacher and the disciple. And it's true. But it's more than that. You know, Indra's expression indicated or pointed at mutual understanding between two-legged creature and the entire earth that supports it. You know, and to resonate with the teachings is not to resonate with the Buddha is to resonate with what the Buddha resonated with. We have to look beyond. Beyond the person, beyond the words, beyond the teachings. I mentioned a, while, a little while ago about how we have to give birth to what each of these great masters gave birth to when they realized 
we cannot vicariously work through them. We have to look at what they looked at. It's a great challenge, a great privilege, it's a great responsibility. Because what they saw is what we see today, is what is echoed here, is what we see as we walk around the lake, is what we hear when we sit in Zazen and the doors are open. The life that is waking up in this forest after a cold winter, what a miracle, right? And how can we respond in the fitting way, in the same way that is as miraculous? The miraculous manifestation of the truth. And to do it while immersed in this sashin. And to really do it, to really take the time to do that and so I mentioned at the beginning that we have to be careful because if we don't do that, then a couple of days from now we look back and we're going to regret. We're going to regret futurizing. We're going to regret wasting this precious time. Sashin is basically an elaborate and a more inclusive version of Zazen. Right? Which means that it carries and encourages, this, encourages the same essential characteristics as in Zazen. Right? The practice of deep observation. Practice of intimately merging with what is. Practice of simply being. So the practice is actually very simple, right? What, what do we do here? We sit, we walk, we eat, do some cleaning, go to the bathroom, take a shower, go to sleep, wake up, do it again. Now to think that there is something else going on or to look for something extra will be foolish. There's a lot going on, but a lot going on happens through these simple actions, simple activities. So now that we are here, in the midst of this experience, Right now that all the planning that was involved in making it happen already happened. Right? And so we are free to actually fully be devoted or devote ourselves to every passing moment to actually experience. Also we are free to express it through the simple activities of the day. And to express it in the same way that a mountain is expressing itself in the same way that a mountain is totally devoted 
to manifesting mountain. Mountain, the birds, the trees, the moss, the ticks. Right? They're just doing what they're doing. And above all, they don't know they're doing, that they are doing what they're doing. Introduction to this case says, washing the bowl, adding water to the pitcher are all aspects of the teaching. Buddha work. Holding firewood, carrying the water are all miraculous powers of sublime functions. There's a similar expression in the words of Layman Pang. Became a very famous saying. My supernatural powers my supernatural powers and miraculous activity, chopping wood, carrying water. Right? Which means in our case, sitting, walking, cleaning, eating, brushing the teeth, everything we do. Of course, not just here, but here we have an opportunity to actually pay attention. All that miraculous powers, Buddha work. The amazing beauty of being, of being, just being, is actually more easily revealed through simple activities, often complex activities distract us from just experiencing being. But if this is true, then why isn't everybody experiencing this immense beauty while being engaged in everyday activity? Right? We're all doing it. We're all brushing our teeth. We're all going to sleep. We're all waking up. We're all eating, drinking walking around. Why isn't it simple? When it is so simple, why is it so complicated? What makes it complicated? Obviously, it's not in the activity itself. Now what happens when we slap a label on something, whether it's an activity, an object, a person? What happens when we describe it, judge it, quantify it? Right? I'm just taking a shower. I'm only tying my shoes. Or even worse, this is just another one of those moments. There's nothing going on, or maybe nothing worth my attention. Right? What happens when we perceive reality in such a limited way? And maybe feel as if we have exhausted everything there is to know about this. And we do. We actually do feel this way often about a lot of things. 
often the older we are, the more dead we are. Because we've seen it all, done it all. Nothing new anymore. Right? And we do it. We do the miraculous activities. Yet because we label it as something, our attention drifts away from it to the mental formation created as a result of what we call it. So then tying the shoes, washing the floor, taking a shower. Become dead, become numb. We become numb. Right? Essentially, these are all activities that express that which can never be known in any other way. In fact, knowing is doing. The only way to know is to do. Right? In other words, if we, if we want to intimately understand the vast unknown, then we need to intimately engage in the way the vast unknown manifests through us. And if we understand that, then, of course, we're not going to reduce an act to a label, to a name, to an explanation. Instead of narrowing it down to what we call it, it actually expands to what we don't call it, to what we don't know about. Nietzsche said, put it nicely, he said, for happiness, how little suffices for happiness. The least thing precisely, the gentlest thing, the lightest, lightest, sorry, the lightest thing, a lizard rustling, a breath, a whisk, an eye glance. Little makes up the best happiness. Be still. To be still, right? what we do. And to be still doesn't mean just don't move. But to be still it means to stay with the activity even when it feels boring. Even when it feels uninteresting. Even when it doesn't satisfy Something in us that constantly wants to be satisfied. At those moments, how can I teach myself to stay with the activity? How can I teach myself to not go with what I call it? To not obey what I call it? Right? To not follow the judgments 
what distracts us is just the internal noise that goes on and on and on and on. And it is a distraction. It can be. Very powerful one. And our task is to keep bringing the attention back to this. This as one open space, this. So if we mop the floors, we need to look at that, be with that, feel it, smell it, sense it, choose it. Wholeheartedly choose to do just that. And let that activity do what it needs to do with the, the judgmental mind. Because it's going to take care of that. Introduction ends with a blunt question that is directed at us, each of us. Right? Why can't you emanate light and make the earth move? Right? Well, how can I emanate light and make the earth move? I know my capabilities. I'm just this one. I don't have this kind of power. Oh, how can this power be in mopping the floor? Makes no sense. I got better things to think about. Right? I detach myself from so much that's going on at home. I work to come here to mop the floor. Right? And how can this be? How can that be a gateway out of the buzz, out of the thoughts that are haunting me? Out of what I'm dreading, maybe, when I go back home. Out of what I'm maybe happy about when I go back home. Now, the reality is that emanating light and moving the earth is actually always happening. It's just that because we don't in intimately trust that it can be experienced in this body through those mundane activities, we end up wasting energy looking for it elsewhere. And you know, we, when we think this way, there is an assumption that we know what we're looking for. Because obviously, we know that it's not in the mopping the floor, right? So there is an assumption that it's somewhere else.
But how do we know who, whose standards are these that we are following? Whose decision is it? And when will we know? When we emanate light and move the earth. So by doing that, we reject what we're looking for, as the monk in this case did. He was shown the gate. He was given the answer to his question. Yet he preferred to stay locked and confined in the idea of it rather than it itself. So he asked Master Zhong Nanyang, what is Vairokana in one's own body? And Zhong said, bring me the pitcher of clean water. So he brought the water. And he said, well, now put it back. He put it back. Only to ask again. Yeah, but... He probably thought, well, okay, if I'll do this thing for him, he'll tell me. He'll solve it for me. So I'll do it. And he did it. Maybe he got even more confused. Maybe lost trust in his teacher. Maybe thought of looking for another teacher. Must be somewhere else. Master Zhong actually was a Chinese Zen master during the 8th century a disciple of Huineng, the sixth patriarch. He lived until about 100 years, actually, and not so common at that time, maybe except for Joshu, who died when he was 119. And he said that Zhong was living in seclusion in a valley for about 40 years. And his name got around, so the emperor wanted him to get out of seclusion so he could study with him. And he kept sending people to go get him. It took three or four times for him to agree to come out and become the national teacher, the teacher of the emperor. So what, what is Vairokana in one's own body? What is Vairokana? A few weeks ago I spoke a little bit about Vairokana Buddha in relation to a different Teisho. So I'll just bring it up again, the description. Vairokana Buddha represents the reality body and the physical manifestation of true wisdom as it appears in the world. Varukana is often depicted as the central figure in a mandala of five Buddhas. Each of the other four Buddhas occupy one of the four directions in relation to the central image. And each of them represent different qualities of wisdom. 
And Varakana Buddha embodies all the qualities of the other four Buddhas, usually painted in pure white to represent all colors. So we can say that it is the appearance of that which is beyond appearance. Yet there is nowhere it cannot be found. And there is nothing that it does not, nothing that does not express it fully. So that's Vairokana Buddha. Now, of course, the question is, for us as practitioners, and this is something that we, we wrestle with for, for quite a while, why we encounter these great teachings. And it's beautiful, and it makes perfect sense. Yet there's a huge gap between what we may read or understand intellectually to the way we function. Right? So hence the question, what is Vairokana in my body? Where am I in all this? How often people say that they understand and they express it through words. And then they get frustrated because they forget. So they run back to the book, looking for the quote, hoping that the quote will energize them. Then maybe it does for a short period of time, but then it falls short, dies out. It comes down to actually embodying it, recognizing, giving birth to Vairokana Buddha. Now the footnote to his question says, have you changed your name? Maybe the question should be, can you change your name? Is it possible? Is it possible to be someone else? Is it possible to not emanate light and move the earth? No, it's because we feel so disconnected. We feel dis-ease or unease with the body. Right? And not feeling at ease, we develop a sense of void, which we try to fill with some definition, with some identity. Because we feel detached, But we try to fill it up, and when we try to fill it up with something, we get trapped further. And that's the key. To avoid the temptation to give it a name, to give us a name, to give yourself an identity. I recently heard a, an interview with this uh, comedian who, I guess she's becoming more famous these days, and 
she's having a new HBO show being introduced. She was interviewed by Terry Gross, who asked her if she was always a comedian. And she said no. And she said, when I was young, I was a gymnast. And she said it was great until I had an ankle injury that prevented me from performing. And I couldn't do it anymore. She said I, was, I felt lost for a while, not knowing who I am. And then she was telling the story. She said, I went to some comedy clubs and I thought, well, I can do that too. So she went, she took some improv classes and decided to venture out on a new career which apparently is going very well at that point. And then in the interview, she said something very interesting. She said, and I'm paraphrasing, she said, now I know that I'm a comedian. Right? So she, she felt lost for a while, not knowing, or not being a gymnast, at least not recognizing herself as having a career as a gymnast, right? Floating around somewhere in between, then finding the new me. And now I feel better because I'm not lost. Right? And What's common about this story, about this interview, about how she felt, how she feels, what's common actually, what's universal about this is that our own difficulty in acknowledging that I and M are already merged. It's already all-inclusive, so there's no need to add another thing. I, I am filling the blank. The fill in the blank becomes the trap. Actually, the fill in the blank is turning our back on Vairokana Buddha. But we are taught to think this way, to act this way. We are taught to create, be somebody. How could it be in a simple expression of walking around, sitting down? Well, you can't make a living off it, so. Yeah. Be somebody. Don't want to be a loser. Not because we don't feel connected, because we don't feel in touch with, we create a husk and we crawl into it. And when one husk falls apart, we very quickly look for a new one to crawl into. And as I was listening to this, I was thinking about her missed opportunity to recognize something in that Interim, that space in between going from one husk to another. In between being a gymnast and being a comedian. 
in that space of not knowing who I am. Master Dijang once said, not knowing is nearest. And this is really the, the, the task. This is the core. Right? To put aside all the husks we have crawled in and out of throughout our lives. To let, let go of our self-definition, our status, job titles. And to stay within the discomfort of being in limbo. Sometimes it's confusing, of course. Sometimes scary. And sometimes blissful. And we have to learn to stay with it all. To stay with it, being supported by breathing in and breathing out by being supported by what the body is already doing, by what the body knows how to do. It knows. So this monk was confused, like us at times and wanted an answer, was looking for it elsewhere. So he did what he was asked to do. But while Vairokana Buddha was manifesting through him beautifully, while it was happening, he decided to put on pause the inquiry Right? I'll take care of business. Then I will go back to the inquiry. I'll mop the floors. Then I'll go back to looking for it. Then I'll go back to working on awakening. I'll go back to looking for what I need. So then the national teacher said, the ancient Buddha is long gone. But the footnote says, not far from here. Right? It's very encouraging. Long gone, but not that far. Because it doesn't matter. We can feel so lost, so confused, so out of touch. Yet it is always right here. But why can't we feel it? Well, where are we looking for it? What do we expect? You know, sometimes people have deep realization and they actually are very disappointed because it doesn't match 
any expectation. And when you hear about somebody else's realization experience, you think, well, that's what I'm supposed to feel. Then you go look for it. That will only take you away from it. Although what is realized is the same, the way is not the same. Right? The way each person realizes is different. That's why often hearing the name is better than seeing the face. But of course, seeing the face is far better than hearing the name. There's a, this powerful portrayal of Varukana Buddha, which I, I read a few weeks back, but I'll read it again just because some of you have not heard it. It says, my very essence is original purity, while my nature is spontaneous presence. I transcend all levels, extreme and biases. I'm not within the range of language or logic. I am not ensured as supreme emptiness by innate nature. I'm not within the range of any scriptural authority or any brilliant reasoning. I cannot be portrayed by tantras or by the instructions. I'm not ensured by being contemplated. I cannot be analyzed through sublime, sublime knowing. There are no stages of approach and accomplishment to reach me. I am beyond any context of negative influence or harm. I am completely me and all ordinary beings. And I am nothing but mind and all that occurs in mind. I am the multitude, and I am singular. I am nothing but samsara and nirvana. I am sitting, I am lying down, and moving about. I am life force, and I am distraction. And, of course, not very easy to, to digest, because It's not what we hope, it's not what we want, it's not what we think. Right? Even during Zazen, and people often speak about that. You know, just, well, I have these thoughts, why am I having these thoughts? I don't want this kind of thinking, right? I want positive thoughts, positive thinking. Right? All of a sudden, I encounter harmful thoughts. Am I supposed to reject them, move away from them? What do I do with them? But all included means all included. There is nothing that's not it. It doesn't mean that everything is skillful. But it does mean that everything is it. Life force and destruction. Samsara and Nirvana. 
we going about looking for it? That's the question. Changsha said, students of the way do not know reality just because they acknowledge the conscious spirit as before. It's the root of countless eons of birth and death, yet fools call it the original man. What do we call it? What are we looking for? What do we want it to be? It's easy to answer those questions. But what if we don't go to what the mind says about those questions? What are we left with? How else can we search for it? Or, in other words, another way to say that, can the search be the actual activity of it? Or maybe even lose the search to the activity. Not to know reality is to be reality through and through. And to realize that our own walking around is reality walking around. I am mopping the floor is Vairokana Buddha mopping the floor. And the floor is Vairokana Buddha. And the Murphy soap and the smell and the water. Dogen talked about that in the Mountains and River Sutra. And he says that the mountain's walking, but we don't recognize the mountain's walking because it doesn't look like our own walking. But then he says, we don't know our own walking, that's why we don't see that the mountains are walking. Because they don't walk like humans. To see ourselves in a mountain. And he says, if you doubt mountains walking, you do not know your own walking. It's not that you do not walk, but you do not know or understand your own walking. And he says, since you do not know your own walking, you should fully know the green mountains walking. Green mountains are neither sentient nor insentient. You are neither sentient nor insentient. At this moment, you cannot doubt the green mountains walking. How do they walk? Not the way we think. But is that a problem? Does it have to match our thoughts? Or a thought, any thought? Is there another way to communicate? 
another way to echo. In the verse it says, birds coursing in the sky, fishes being in the water, in rivers and lakes, forgetting, in clouds and sky, they get their will. To forget the self is to be verified by the myriad things. Right? And birds can fly because they forget the sky. They know nothing about the sky because they're all the sky. And fish know nothing about water because they're all water. And because they know nothing about it, they are verified by it. That's why they're always at home. Master Zhui Feng said, the fish are not conscious of water. People are not conscious of air. Illusion is not conscious of reality. Enlightenment is not conscious of emptiness. Where is the gap? Right? It's all happening. Where is the gap? Then it says, The Dantic mind is single thread before the face a thousand miles. In the commentary it says, Usually, the personal Vairokana, pure awareness, manifests form in the human realm. As soon as it is questioned, suddenly a shadow appears. You forget the blessings you have received, turn away from your parents and go to strangers. As soon as we doubt, we go astray. As soon as we question our own Buddha body, we act as if we are separated from it. We never are, but we act as if we are separated from it. In the same way that when Yunjo was asked by someone, where does rain come from? He said, it comes from your question. Right? Where else? But what is rain? Knowing benevolence, repaying benevolence, how many people do? No, we chant. May we show our gratitude by manifesting the way together. Knowing benevolence, repaying benevolence. Are these two different actions? To know and to repay it. How do we repay it? By understanding that what we do is already miraculous. By appreciating the amazing ability to tie our shoes. 
Right? You got these ten fingers moving together in such a way that there it is. It's happening in front of our eyes. But we got stuff to worry about, to think about. The footnote says, one child has personally accomplished it. One child has arrived home. Could that be you? Could that be you? I'll end with a poem from Kabir, 15th century Indian mystic. I said to the wanting creature inside me, what is this river you want to cross? There are no travelers on the river road and no road. Do you see anyone moving about on the bank or nesting? There is no river at all and no boat and no boatman. There is no tow rope either and no one to pull it. There is no ground, no sky, no time, no bank, no fold. And there is nobody and no mind. Do you believe there is some place that will make the soul less thirsty? In that great absence, you will find nothing. Be strong then and enter into your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else. Kabir says this. Just throw away all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which you are. Is this not homecoming? What more do we want? What more could we ask for? Why isn't this enough? Listen. Listen. 